So, John, what do you think you would do if your apartment exploded and everything you owned was destroyed? Ooh. So does that mean the goldfish? Yeah, the goldfish is dead. Oh, no. Uh, once I'd got over my grief. Okay, you know, sure. I'd, I'd go through I'd, the appropriate I'd, period of mourning. Yeah. Given experience, I don't think that would take you very long. No, well, you know, I'm a survivor. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I... They're not. They're not. <laughs> they're, they're, they're <laughs> the opposite. <clears throat> Look, I do my best. I guess I'd... Well, I'd move in with you. Okay. Yeah. And I sure. think I'd set up maybe like a nice knitting circle or something. Or maybe like a book group. Just something very genteel. Wow. Yeah. Wow, okay. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not starting any fight clubs. I'm not going to start a club operating out of your house while I'm squatting there. It's going to be a lot more chilled out and laid back and cultured. Sounds very boring. Yeah, well, sorry. That's that's John's life, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Hopes and aspirations. You're freed from everything. What do you do? You start knitting. You can do anything in the world, John. Why would punching someone else in the face be the thing I don't want not to suggesting that's what you do, but a knitting circle? Just something low impact. You know, you could I just don't... knit right now, right? You could be knitting that. You could be knitting while podcasting. You know, oh, I think the clacking might not be good for the... It might get picked up. Your us. aspirations are just... Oh, my God. <laughs> Let's just move on. Welcome everybody to Beyond the Box Set, the podcast where today we are pitching prequels, sequels and spin-offs to Fight Club. Mm. It's great. Um, we're also going to be pitching some drinking games and later on we'll be hearing from our listeners with uh, things they submitted to us online. Uh, but first we're going to talk about some of our favourite moments from the plot and also do a quick plot summary as well. So I'm Harry, I'm the host with the most muscles. Are you though? Under several layers of fat. <laughs> And joining me, as always, the host who is just one apartment explosion away from opening a, a fabulous knitting shop. <laughs> I don't say if I don't a shop. It's John Lucas. Oh, thank you. What are you going to do with all your blouses that you that you knit? Blouses. <laughs> Sorry, scarves. You, 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 you're only on, on stereotype on step, me. Step yeah, yeah, so that's, that, that's ambitious. Yeah, <laughs> single pieces of string, scarves for mice. I don't know. Um, what were you saying? Where, where are you going to open your shop? Oh, yeah. I think or, I'll just do it. Or, or also just welcome to the episode, whatever you... I think I'll just Etsy it, to be honest. Just Etsy, okay. Yeah, I, I don't want to have to pay all the fees, you know. Yeah, cool. Yeah, just very, you know, solid, low ambitions. Yeah. Great. That's how I get through life. Just you know, Aim God. low and you'll never be disappointed. God, you're boring. Okay, so Fight Club, go. Fight Club, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so this was a U-pick. Mm-hmm. I had seen this before. I think most people have seen this film. Yeah. Not for a long time. I think it must have been not that long after it came out. Mm-hmm. Maybe I've seen it twice. I've definitely seen it at least once. Mm-hmm. I remember the twist, obviously. I mean, yeah. you know, that's the main thing about the film, is it? And it's one of those twists that when you know it, it becomes incredibly more obvious. It really is, and we'll, we'll get to that, yeah. yeah. Cause that, and that definitely is why it rewards a second viewing. So yeah. I remember that. And I remember a few of isolated bits. I remember that Meatloaf was in it with tits. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that stayed in my mind, but it did. Mm-hmm. I remembered the end, obviously, mm-hmm. with Michoud himself through the face and all mm-hmm. that stuff. But yeah, watching it this time... It's interesting watching it so soon after The Joker came out. Because mm-hmm. not that they are that similar plot-wise, but I think they cover some similar territory. And 
So I'm down, down with the system, sort of thing. Yeah, but also I think they would. Prob- I think if Fight Club came in today, it would be in for a lot of the same criticisms mm-hmm. that the Joker's coming from. And yeah, we've talked about the Joker, and we both quite liked it. And mm-hmm. you know, I, don't, I think a lot of the criticism is a little bit over the top in terms of it being like yeah. morally objectionable. For the first hour of watching Fight Club this time round, mm. I was like, oh. This has aged terribly. <laughs> and I was really like, oh, I'm actually actively really disliking this film. Mm-hmm. And then by the end, it kind of won me around. So why are you saying it aged terribly? Well, I feel like it just comes across. And I've, even though I, it did win me around by the end, I, I definitely think it has a, like a bro-y quality. It's, like, it's, a, mm. it's such a straight man's film. It it's such really a straight is. white man's fantasy film. Like, yeah. It has nothing to say to me as a gay man. It has nothing to say to women, you know. <laughs> I don't think there's anyone who's not white in this film yeah. in any particularly significant role. Not like with some no. background people, mm. you know. Like, it really is... And I don't know, just a lot of the stuff that he, that Brad Pitt says, a lot of the philosophy that he kind of puts out there is very, like, Jordan Peterson-y. You know, it, it's it's very much that, you <laughs> yeah. know. And, it, it, yeah, it, it, for the, I was really worried for the first hour. I was like, is this just toxic masculinity in the movie? Mm-hmm. Uh, and some people might argue that it is, but I do think that by the end it made its kind of more satirical side come through mm-hmm. and the way the directions it took. So by the end I was enjoying it more. Yeah. I like the second half a lot more than the first half. I yeah. still think it has problems, though, and we'll talk about it, but I definitely had some... I think it, I think parts of it have aged better than other parts, definitely. Yeah, I'd say I'd say you're right. Mm. Should I do a plot summary then, I guess? Hey, what were your thoughts on it? My thoughts? Uh, I have seen it before and I mm-hmm. quite enjoyed it this time again yeah. I remembered the twist and had a few memories of different bits of it mm-hmm. I generally quite enjoyed it uh-huh. but uh, yeah your points are definitely valid mm-hmm. it's okay to like to really like it you know like, uh, no it's, it's not like I really like it and like mm-hmm. oh my god this speaks to me yeah. you know as a, straight, well, as a straight white man this is what I've been well, looking for well I mean yeah you, <laughs> I don't I don't think you never, you've never struck me as like a fight clubby type I don't think this is how you would you know no not I'm, somebody I'm like, would get involved in this like. like the way this film put it was that like everybody's looking for this this is what well, yeah. everybody wants Every, mm. everybody wants to just get out of their monotonous jobs and do this yeah and I remember when I first watched it, I was like, that all seems a bit extreme. Like, if mm. you don't like your job, you're in the wrong job. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I had made... Just, yeah. just get a different job. If mm. you if you don't like that you buy IKEA stuff, then, you know, stop buying IKEA stuff or don't. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this isn't, a, this isn't an answer to anything. No, well, that's the thing. <laughs> Brad Pitt's character's whole philosophy in this film is just something I have no patience for. Mm. I hate it. And obviously the thing is with his character... Because of the twist, because mm. of the fact that, spoiler alert, they're the same person, mm-hmm. he, he has to be very one-dimensional because yeah. he's, he, he's pure id. He's like oh, yeah. the yeah. pure expression of Edward Norton's, you know, fantasies about being this carefree mm-hmm. alpha male, basically. Mm-hmm. So this isn't necessarily a criticism of the film because it does make sense in the grand scheme of things, but just so much bullshit philosophy. <laughs> like, so many times his character would say things that he obviously thought were so deep or he's supposed to think are so and deep. And they sound deep at the time. Yeah, but they're actually... Not no, they're, they're, they're nothing. <laughs> yeah, I really because you still get it today. You know, from certain quarters, this this whole notion of live like you're going to die tomorrow. You know, oh god, you, every, mm. we're all dying, so you know, don't waste your life in some boring job and all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Which is, in some ways, obviously, is a good message. Like, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong. Obviously, if you are unhappy in your job or in your life, there's always ways you can change. Yeah, your life. make a change. Yeah, you can absolutely can. But this ramming home of like I think it's like this exceptionalism it's this idea that if you're not doing something really exceptional then you're just a waste of flesh mm. and I think that there's nothing wrong with being ordinary no. if, you, if you're happy <laughs> with being ordinary like no. this idea that people are just must be dying inside because they're not living you know and it also comes from a very like I say, it does come from a very like white privilege male privilege kind of thing it's mm. like 
yeah, you, people work jobs because they need to earn money. You don't, not everyone has the luxury to go and live every day like it's their last. That's just not mm-hmm. practical. Mm-hmm. It's not actually practical. Yeah. And also just like the fact that his whole philosophy was so... It didn't bring anything good to the world. Yeah. It was entirely nihilistic. It was entirely... And again, this is the point of the film. This is, I'm not criticizing the film for this, but his whole viewpoint is, you know, burn down the system and do things that are going to excite you today or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And it's not like, what's, well, if you really want to, if you really feel like you're not doing enough, maybe go, go, go do some volunteer work or something, <laughs> you know, like join a charity, you know, yeah. find a cause to support. Yeah. yeah. But it's not nothing like that. It's all, it's all just very me-centered stuff, a very incredibly selfish mm worldview that's just utterly destructive and but also a lot of it didn't quite make sense to me well, yeah, it doesn't stand up either. um that people are that interested in violence and like that's mm-hmm. the answer to them mm-hmm. and it's it you know it's it's friendly violence it's you know like when football teams have a friendly match it doesn't really mean anything it's just something yeah um just for the sake of it but it's like, not beating the shit out of each other yeah they are, they are as well they're yeah. like no one's ever talking about having injuries mm. you know Jared Leto never says I liked my face <laughs> yeah exactly or like you know near the end um, he bumps into that chef in some different city mm. and the guy's in a neck brace yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Not, not, not just like a neck brace but like he, he can't move his whole upper body yeah because of presumably some injury from Fight Club yeah I think it, you're one like step on a shoelace and trip over and then you're paralysed for life yeah there's that. That, no. that was never really touched on. No, it wasn't. It was, it was never really touched on that people actually get injured here. They showed it visually, but... Yeah. Well, I think by that point, like, that's where the satirical part of it comes in, because it's obviously become this cult mm. that people, yeah, <clears throat> that people are just mindlessly following, even though it's doing them active harm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I do find it interesting, because I think there are people who obviously, this film is so popular, and mm. it obviously does speak to people, maybe just because it's an entertaining film, and it's mm-hmm. well-made, and it's, you know, it's stylish, and it's cool. But I, like, it's very easy to be like, oh, straight people are so straight men are awful. They're the worst, <laughs> like, you know. And in many ways they are. But you know, but you know, also like, yeah, we are. You can't just dismiss, you know, if, if this film really does like make people feel something, mm. like again, because not, I'm not saying you. I'm talking like obviously there's a whole mm-hmm. spectrum of yeah. everything. So, but if there are this whole, if there's this whole like sub category of film watchers who really feel something about this film. Because I was reading, I was watching an interview with the guy who wrote the book, mm. and the guy doing the interview was someone who did mixed martial arts, and he said this is the first one I've ever seen that really spoke to, spoke to me about, and really like put across the emotional impact of fighting and mm. the, the emotional release of fighting. Mm. He, he talked about it a lot about some of the things he said. I thought again veered into Jordan Peterson territory, so mm. it was a bit. But he said a lot about how it's it, it is a way how men express themselves because men. And he's talking about men, like men, like men don't talk about their feelings, men don't cry, men don't, you yeah. know. So actually to be able to express whatever's inside through physical violence, you know, controlled physical violence, like mm-hmm. martial arts kind of stuff. It, it's something that he obviously really related to in the film. And that's not, it's just not something I can relate to at all, like yeah. in the slightest. Like no. it was very clear to me very early on in my life that I was never going to be an alpha male. <laughs> so like, and it, obviously that comes with its own kind of, you know, journey, but in in some ways that meant that that was never that's never something I've ever had to really like think about or reckon with. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like this pressure to like what is it to be a man? Mm-hmm. And maybe I hope it's different for people now than it was. You know? Yeah. It's something that's always changing. But like this idea that if you are a man, I am a man. You know, if you are like a, a straight man, there's a like certain ways you should be and certain things you should do. And it's like I don't know. I just that's kind of why I don't want to be too dismissive of it because. Mm-hmm. 
straight guys have feelings too, you know. <laughs> and if this film, yeah, there are, there are definitely pressures put on everybody. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, no, no matter no matter what you are. Yeah. So I just find that really um, interesting. And this film did just talk about some really yeah. of like more alpha male straight white male stuff yeah. that really doesn't apply to everybody. No, of course not. Yeah. not but also it doesn't really talk as, as much as I've talked about like one. Well, if you take this back, if you imagine the characters you'd get in a standard high school movie, yeah. which of those characters do you think this film would appeal to or would eventually join a fight club? I guess the jocks. Yes, yeah, the jocks. Yeah, 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 yeah. Only the jocks. It's the popular kids. Yeah. Nobody else. Yeah. Well, maybe also the kids who wanted to be jocks but couldn't be jocks. I wonder. Well, because Edward Norton isn't an alpha male. Mm-hmm. Listen to True, him. but like, Brad Pitt is. Yeah, oh, oh Brad Pitt is pure alpha male energy in this film, yeah. Yeah, and so Edward Norton's ultimate personality is that. Yeah, but that's it, because he's, Brad Pitt is the version of himself that he wants to be, that's what mm. I mean. Yeah. I mean, I can't take credit for this quote, it's not mine, but I was reading, I was listening to another podcast on this film recently, mm. and they described this film as a film about beta males who fantasise about fucking alpha males. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yep. Wow. <laughs> But yeah, I think it, a lot of it comes from that kind of resentment of like not being that perfect, you know, perfectly chiselled, mm-hmm. you know, has sex with anyone they want to, has a loves their job or yeah. doesn't need a job, whatever it might be, you know. So yeah, I think it probably jocks and people who wish they could have been jocks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But not, obviously the film resonates with people and I think that's, as long as they don't then go out and blow up buildings or beat the shit out of people who haven't consented to having the shit beaten out mm-hmm. of them, that's fine. But this film definitely doesn't really have a lot of time for like actually digging into the emotion of it. Yeah. Know? I would say Joker did that more. Yeah, yeah. Even though the Joker absolutely is a villain in the film. Like it definitely gets into, you know, the pain behind that and where it comes from. Whereas this film's just it just kind of presents it mm-hmm. and then you can kind of take it for whatever you take it for. Mm-hmm. I also watched a YouTube interview from the time from the film being released and it's Edward Norton and Brad Pitt promoting the film. Mm-hmm. So this is like nineteen ninety eight. And it's some interviewer, and the interviewer says something like, I'll, I'll pull a clip of it because it is horrifying. <laughs> the interviewer says, so don't you feel like this film is, the reason this film is really resonating right now is because we do live in this real PC culture now where it's so unfashionable now for men to be men. Like, you know, and the interviewer obviously really felt like it's such a shame that men can't just beat the shit out of each other anymore. So mm-hmm. it's, and again, it was like, God, and he, they're just talking about like PC culture and stuff. It's like, God, 20, this is literally 20 years ago. Mm. Nothing has changed. Like, this is, <laughs> I feel like in the, at the dawn of time, like this, the first early man, like the second generation of early man, like the Neanderthals were like, yeah. well, in my dad's day, we could, you know, stake a mammoth and call ourselves men. And now we have to, I, I don't even know. You know what I mean? Like, it's, <laughs> I don't think this is ever going to go away. This idea that like male culture is being taken away by mm. PC culture. Mm-hmm. Like, also, fun fact. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Oh, shut up. I'm Ross. I'm, I'm, no, I'm, no, no, you don't. I'm Ross ranting. I'm sorry. This <clears throat> film, or the book that inspired yeah. the film, coined the term snowflake. Oh, did it? Did you notice Brad Pitt says it at one point? When he's, when the, when no, the, when the army, when the army, you know, when all the mayhem people have joined the house mm. and they're all training, at one point he walks through and he says, you are not all special snowflakes. Uh... And that's, yeah. It's, it's, he's talking about like, you know, because they're all surrendering their individual identities aren't they and yeah as part of this like manly unit mm-hmm. you know yeah and that's where and that's where snowflake first I mean, obviously the term snowflake to refer to this idea of like liberal pc mm-hmm. you know stuff that that's where it came from oh, well, great. So, yeah so this film this yeah, film did some damage it's done some damage yeah but, <laughs> but you know you can't necessarily blame the author for how people interpret their work like, no t- totally no and so it went not special. You are not a beautiful or unique snowflake. 
same decaying organic matter as everything else. Tyler built himself an army. We are the all-singing, all-dancing crap of the world. We are all part of the same compost heap. Why was Tyler Durden building an army? To what purpose? For what greater good? In Tyler we trusted. Wow, people do seem to really be into this film. They really are, yeah. In different that's, ways. That's what I mean, it really strikes a chord. So. Mm. Which, you know, arguably, sign of a good film. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so this film uh, plot summary, it uh, starts off with... Edward Norton, mm-hmm. uh, just working in an office, I think. Yeah, he works he, for a big motor company, assessing when there's been accidents, uh, like oh, that's technical it, yes. faults. Yeah, assessing technical faults and working out if car models should be recalled or not. Yeah. And he gives a very simple formula that I've forgotten now. but It's basically a numbers game. It's like, yeah. rather than being like, oh God, our brakes failed one out of a thousand times, the, you know, that, that could cause somebody to die, we must do a recall. It's like, well, how yeah. many accidents compared to the cost of recalling this model, will mm. will there be? And then it's like, is this financially viable? Because obviously anyone who dies as a result of a fail, yeah. you could potentially sue us for millions of dollars. Yeah. But maybe it's going to cost us billions of dollars to recall this whole line. So mm. it's actually worth just taking the hit and letting people die. Mm. That seems to basically be his job. Yeah, mm-hmm. pretty much. Yeah. So you, you know, can see which, why he's not particularly is... satisfied with his life. Because yeah. that can't be a job that sends you, you know, skipping into work in the morning with a no. song in your heart. And he spends a lot of time travelling... Mm-hmm. Waiting for flights, flights yeah. getting delayed, and wait, wasting time on planes. Yeah, and making what is it? What do you call the the friends he makes on planes? Oh, one shot friends or something? Something like that. Yeah. I mean, personally, I've stayed in a lot of hostels and I've made a lot of temporary friends. Yeah, that's, that's my term for them. Temporary friends. Temporary yeah. friends. They're the best people. Mm. You really, you really open up to them. Okay. Because you're like, I'm never going to see you never, again. I'm never, never going to see you again. Yeah, I'll, I'll just share anything with you and you know you with me and also you can be anybody as well like you don't need to be the normal self you are around your regular friends do you change personalities i do really yeah how so Mm, well not a lot but like perhaps sometimes somebody's just being a lot more boisterous than your normal friends and then you just kind of you kind of match their energy and not in a way that you would ever in your normal day-to-day life yeah that's right. To be fair, I have noticed that about you that some when I've seen you in different friendship circles, you do adapt very well to like the social situation that you're in. Yeah. Like I've seen you around like lads, and you're a lot more laddie. And then obviously when you're around our friends, you're a lot more like, eh, you know. Yeah. I'm just me. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I'm too old to change who I am now. <laughs> that's not. It's not like care what people think of me. Mm-hmm. Just it's okay to care what people think of you if you want to. But also, is it just? Well, is I mean, more... I do. But yeah, that's that's that's, that's not why. I behave the way I do around different people mm-hmm. I don't know um, what, is, it what, like a, I mean, is it more like liberating to like be able to be a different version of yourself for a little while I don't or? it just comes naturally I don't want to think yeah. about it okay yeah. I think you just kind of match with people's energy don't you sure yeah sure absolutely yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. like you and me have probably grown a lot more similar over the years that we've been doing this podcast oh absolutely yeah you just we've matched each other's energy yeah anyway so where were we <laughs> <laughs> yeah so he hates his job Yes. Lot, he's got lots of dead time that just makes it more frustrating. Also, he's an insomniac. He can't sleep. Mm-hmm. And uh, he buys a lot of Ikea furniture <laughs> kind of just to pass the time or just part of his the, the lifestyle that he's built himself. Yeah, it's just, it's setting him up as like a materialistic person, someone yeah. who gets the value in his life out of what he owns and like yeah. having a perfect apartment. So, yeah. And uh, one day on a flight, he bumps into Brad Pitt, mm-hmm. although he doesn't. Uh, I think... I only worked it out just before the episode that I think the only time when Brad Pitt was a real person was when he's on that travelator on the way to the flight. I don't think he's ever a real person, is he? 
Oh, do you think he spotted him? Yeah. And then that's the image. Yeah. He's like, oh, I want to be that guy. He looks cool. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah, they were going on opposite travel ages, di- different directions. Okay, that makes so sense. So they're not go- about to get on the same flight or anything. So ah. I think it was like, hey, that guy looks cool. Oh, and that, that inspired him. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I didn't think of that. Yeah, that's, that's that, what I think. No, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah it, it makes perfect sense. Mm. Yeah, so he sees Brad Pitt and they have that have a bit of a conversation. Mm-hmm. They exchange business cards or whatever. Brad Pitt sells soap. Well, um, even then, Brad Pitt's like psychoanalyzing him. Yeah, like, from the get go. Oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, Brad Pitt opened this briefcase of soap. Yeah, and uh, at this point, I because uh, he's a soap salesman. He's a soap salesman. I think to myself, like, there is no way in hell that would get on a flight these days. <laughs> Like a briefcase, essentially full of a chemical, which yeah. also they do later in this film prove to be Used an explosive. To expo- yeah, exactly. <laughs> also, if you're a soap salesman, mm. why would you be carrying a briefcase like, full of soap? Samples? <laughs> Maybe, but like, that's more like door-to-door Avon like, lady like, shit. That's not like international the, business. Like, like smell my soap? Maybe, but I, like he's doing international know, or cross state lines. Also, he's not a real person. He's not a real person. I don't no, think yeah. Ed Norton thought this through. No, no, of course not. <laughs> I'm just saying, if you follow the logic of this scene through without knowing what yeah. happens, like if you sell soaps door to door, sure, you're going to buy a suitcase full of soaps. Yeah. But if you're like high up enough that you're doing international cross state line travel, you're getting actual flights all the time. Mm-hmm. Presumably, you're selling large quantity soaps to large companies. Mm. They're not going to want to sniff it first, they're mm. just going to want the numbers, you know. Mm. And so, yeah, then he, uh, they, they get off the flight. Um, Ed Norton loses his bag or whatever. That's one of the first clues, I guess, is that they have the identical briefcases. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so theirs get mixed up, maybe? Maybe. Oh, no, maybe they don't. No, they remember, don't. there's only one briefcase. There's only one briefcase, so yeah, the, the, the one filled with soap does not exist. And, uh, yeah, so his bag gets lost or whatever. He has a bit of a talk with the baggage guy who... I don't know, was that David Fincher? Like, that really felt like a cameo role. It did. I don't think it was, but I know what you mean. They did have, like, I'm going to put myself in this movie. Yeah. If it was a Tarantino film, that it, would unquestionably have been Tarantino. Yeah, yeah, or M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like, I don't think it was David Fincher, but I know exactly what you mean. It had that vibe, definitely. Yeah, because it was, it was a nothing role. Mm. It meant nothing to the film. No, it was really, like, Crodum, just so we could up the tally of dick references in this film. <laughs> <laughs> Which, spoiler alert, yeah. is one of my drinking games. Okay, great. <laughs> How I came to live with Tyler is airlines have this policy about vibrating luggage. Was was it ticking? Actually, throwers don't worry about ticking because modern bombs don't tick. Sorry, throwers? Baggage handlers. But when a suitcase vibrates, then the door's got to call the police. My suitcase? was vibrating. Nine times out of ten, it's an electric razor, but every once in a while, it's a dildo. Yeah, and so Ed Norton goes home and he finds that his apartment has been uh, blown up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he said that very casually. Like, yeah, his apartment's been blown up. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. It has. It's <laughs> he, literally exploded. He, he, he acted very casually. He did. He didn't seem to have any kind of emotional reactions to that and at all. all his Ikea crap is just all over the street down below. Mm. And uh, yeah, so he's got uh, he's he's got nowhere to go now. I have skipped over a major part. I was going to say yeah, you've skipped over quite an important <laughs> plot point. Yeah, <laughs> um, where he went to what did he, did he go? Group that's it. No, sessions. no, that's it. So he goes to a hospital about his, his, his insomnia, and the doctor refuses to give him any pills because the doctor's a dickhead. I guess. Well, he just says you need to take a healthy response. You know, I'm not going to prop you up full of pills because you can't sleep. You need to. His response to I can't sleep is get a good night's sleep. 
that's basically what he says. True, true, true. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a doctor. I don't know what no, the actual. I, I don't really know much about insomnia, but I don't think it's as easy as why don't you just lighten up? I think is yeah. what he says. Yeah, it's like it's like saying to depressed people, why don't you just cheer up? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Oh, that's what I that's what I imagine it might be. I don't know. Yeah. Certain. But anyway, so the doctor says, "Well, you want to, you want to see real pain? Go to the uh, testicular cancer support group. Mm-hmm. Um, see what's going on there." So he does, and he, he and that's where we meet Meatloaf. Yeah, and uh, Meatloaf's two friends. Oh, his breasts. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I'm making fun of what presumably may be a real illness. Um, so. Testicular cancer is a real illness, yes. I don't think... <laughs> you know that's not what I meant. Check your balls, lads. It's important. <laughs> yeah, no, but I, I did think that this scene was quite on the nose. Like, like a lot of the jokes in this film, like, some some of them some of them I thought were really good. Some of them I thought were a bit like, oh, it's really leaning into this, again, this kind of really... Broy kind of thing. It's like it was because like, this is literally men who've lost, who've literally lost their balls, mm. and then all they and then they've grown breasts and they cry all the time. Yeah, well, I mean, one of them has one yes. of them has breasts and cries um, all the time. But that's basically yeah, like what it, they're it really didn't seem like it was being handled uh, sensitively at no. all. And I know that I just made a joke there, but also throughout the film, Meatloaf's pecs never get referred to anything other than bitch tits. That's it. Yeah, it's it's this character has bitch tits. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean. There's like the film definitely has this like undercurrent of weird masculine energy. That, mm. Yeah. Sometimes I thought it was making fun of, and sometimes I wasn't sure. Yeah. 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 And this is one of those times I wasn't sure. Yeah. And so then uh, Ed Norton goes home and he has a perfect night's sleep because mm. he's and, cried at this meeting. Yeah. Yeah. He's able, even though he doesn't have testicular cancer, mm-hmm. something about other people, other men specifically, mm-hmm. expressing their pain allows him to just let out his own emotions in a way that he's otherwise unable to do. Yeah. And that clears his head and he's able to sleep. Mm-hmm. But it's not just testicular cancer, he goes to a bunch and, of... Yeah, and so, and so then he basically gets addicted to it, because him letting out like that is the only way that he can sleep at night. Yeah. So, yeah, then he just starts going to all these groups, and un- under fake names, yeah. because of course we never actually know what his name is, because mm-hmm. his name is Brad Pitt's name. Potentially, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now then, eventually he meets up with Helena Bonham Carter. Marla, the character. Marla, and she is pretty much doing the same thing as him. He recognises her from multiple groups. Mm. So he realises that she is also faking all... Because obviously these are all support groups for diseases or addictions mm-hmm. or, you know, mental health problems. And she's going to all of them. Yeah. Um, including testicular cancer. Including testicular cancer. Which I, I really wanted to find out how she possibly justified staying in that group. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was a question that they didn't answer. Mm. But um, yeah. And this really throws him off. Mm-hmm. Like he can't... The fact that she's lying really throws off... Because he's also lying. Mm-hmm. It it throws off his ability to actually get anything good out of these groups. Mm. I did love... Edward, I'll say this, Edward Norton was phenomenal in this film. Mm. I thought he was... All the acting of the main characters, of which there are three, mm-hmm. is really good. But I thought he was... Even though there were parts of the film I didn't like, I thought he was spectacular. Mm. His fuck you bitch face that he gives to <laughs> Helena Bonham Carter, there's a shot of her at one of the support groups and he's just looking across the room at her. It is. It made me laugh so hard. Mm-hmm. I loved it. <laughs> it's, it's just... Alter, I hate you face. <laughs> Bob loved me because he thought my testicles were removed too. Being there, pressed against his tits, ready to cry. This was my vacation. And she ruined everything. This is cancer, right? Yeah, so she is this character who... She's fascinating. She should have been in this film more. That's yeah. an absolute fact. Definitely. And uh, she doesn't care about anything. Yeah. 
at all. No. She doesn't even care about her own life. No, yeah, absolutely. She She's a bit like, of a pixie dream girl type. A bit. Yeah. But that's just the way that this film has kind of portrayed her. I don't really feel like that's a good summation of her character. No, well, this is the thing. I think, yeah, I think... Like, with, you, with, with more screen time and a bit more development, yeah, there's, she there's wouldn't have real, been that. No, yeah, there's, that's what I mean. There's real potential with this character, mm. absolutely. I think it's really, it's a great character, it's a great part, but I think it's one of those ones where you cast Helena Bonham Carter and it's like, okay, you've got the job halfway done. Yeah. Like, it, she does a lot of heavy lifting just because she's just automatically interesting because yeah. she's just great. Yeah. She can just walk, walk on screen and say nothing. Fun little uh, casting bit of trivia. Mm-hmm. It was initially offered to Reese Witherspoon. No. And she, yeah, wouldn't work. That's what I mean. If it was her, it would have been bland, boring, mm. nothing female character. Mm-hmm. Helena Bonham Carter brought the essence of Helena Bonham Carter to it. Yeah. And that made it much more interesting. Yeah. So that's why I think a lot of it comes from her rather than like the script. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't think Reese Witherspoon would have worked. No. Yes. And so where I got to with the Brad Pitt stuff? Ah, yeah. So, oh, so that he's just, yeah, so Edward so, 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 yeah, they, um, they agree with Helena Bonham Carter to, uh, because they don't like each other, they're going to go to a different counselling. They're going to alternate. They're going to, they're going yeah. to, they're going to split it up, mm-hmm. and so they exchange numbers just in case. Yeah. And so then cut back to um, Ed Norton with Brad Pitt, mm-hmm. and Ed Norton's apartment's just blown up. And he needs somewhere to go. He nearly calls Helena Bonham Carter. Well, he does, but then he doesn't say anything. He, he loses his nerve. Ah, oh, yeah, that's it. And so yeah. then he calls Brad Pitt. Yeah. And he's like, oh, it's me, the guy from the plane. Edward Norton's character has... Apparently no friends or family of his own. No. Com- a complete loner. Mm. Yeah. Which yeah. is, it would have to be for this plot to make any sense. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah, so then he goes to Brad Pitt's house, which turns out to be basically a haunted house. Oh God, this gave me, <laughs> this house gave me anxiety as well. Yeah. The, the, the basement is flooded. Yeah. Permanently. Permanently, yeah. The taps all ooze brown ooze water. brown water, which he uses to brush his teeth. Yeah. Ah. Oh. It's yeah. It, it's the, the, falling the, the apart. Roof it's utterly leaks. dilapidated. Um, yeah. The stairs are falling through. Yeah, it's a death trap. It's an actual yeah. death trap. Yeah. Yeah. Did not like it. No. <laughs> no, would definitely not want to take my clothes off and uh, have sex with Brad Pitt in a rubber glove. No. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I think I, I think I might prefer rubber gloves to not rubber gloves in that house. Just well, you know. No. But yes, I know what you mean. <laughs> Yeah, so he, and then he lives with Brad Pitt for a bit. He does, yeah. Um, well, for the rest of the movie. Yeah. So in the real world of the film in which Brad Pitt doesn't exist, is he just squatting, do we think? Yeah. yeah. Just in some, like, dilapidated... Yep. Yeah? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And so then they go for a drink, and after they go for a drink, they're out at the back of the bar, and uh, Brad Pitt tells everyone not to hit him. Yeah. So he does, eventually. Yeah. This and is the bit when I was like, oh, just kiss. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ, like... <laughs> Hey, thanks for the beer. Yeah, man. Okay. We should find a hotel. Uh, what? What? A hotel. Yeah. Just ask, man. What are you talking about? <laughs> Three pitches of beer and you still can't ask. What? You called me because you needed a place to stay. Oh, hey, hey, no, no, no. Yes, you I, did. I didn't mean... So just ask. Cut the foreplay and just ask, man. Would, would that be a problem? Is it a problem for you to ask? Can I stay at your place? Yeah. Thanks. I want you to do me a favor. Yeah, sure. I want you to hit me as hard as you can. What? I want you to hit me as hard as you can. So they start doing that regularly. 
which then gets a bit of an audience. Then eventually somebody asks if they can have a go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which we find out later is people seeing a guy beating up himself and being like, you know what, this looks interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the kind of person you cross the street to avoid. Doesn't matter how drunk you are. Yeah. You don't go up and go, hey, hey, mate, what's what are you doing? Can I get in on this? This weird. Yeah. Breakdown that you're having in public. <laughs> <laughs> so when the guy says, "Can I have a go?" Did he mean, "Can you all stand around while I punch myself?" Or did he want to? And, punch then, and, then, and then suddenly Ed Norton attacks him. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah, maybe he was like intending to beat up this weirdo who's having some kind of mental breakdown, and then Ed Norton got the better of him and then impressed them. I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, there are plot holes in this whole two people scenario. Yeah. Like. Yeah. So then, well, that happens, and eventually they turn it into Fight Club, and they're just in the basement of the bar. Yes. And uh, they find a space to do yeah, it. Yeah, and that's where they finally get the iconic line of, first of all, Fight Club, you don't talk about Fight Club, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It kind of becomes a cult. Yeah, it became it a, spreads. It became a cult. It goes all over the country, mm-hmm. um, eventually. Meatloaf joins in, and that's when Ed Norton finds that it's spreading, actually. When Meatloaf's like, oh, I go on Thursdays, and Ed Norton's like, I go on Saturdays. Yeah. <laughs> um... Yeah, that's what I mean. it really makes it seem like every man is doing this. Like, mm. every man wants this. Like, mm. like I said before, it's, it's a really strange worldview. Well, it's because gay people didn't exist in the 90s. Well, true. Well, they didn't exist in this movie. Although, <laughs> if they did, they weren't, they weren't attending these clubs. No. Well, gay people have got better things to do in the 90s. Damn straight. <laughs> <laughs> Damn fucking straight. <laughs> we had bakeries to run. Um, so then everybody starts joining in at the house when Brad Pitt starts recruiting people. Mm-hmm. First of all, they have to stand outside on the porch and get held abuse out for a few days. Yes. And then they're ready to... And then they get accepted in. Yeah. It's like, why are you doing this? Again, this is... I couldn't relate, because I was... Why on earth do people want to stand outside in the freezing cold for three whole days, mm. being having abuse missing held at them? Missing Fight Club. Missing Fight Club, <laughs> having abuse held at them, mm. only so they can move into this dilapidated, crappy... A homeless shelter. Yeah, lose their name. Lose everything, yeah. Yeah. Is that, is that really what you think? Like, oh my god, my job is shit. This is so monotonous. You know what I want? To not even be me anymore. Yeah. I just want I just want to be not even a real soldier, just like a nothing soldier. Yeah. I think maybe, maybe like I said, like, it's not something that's ever appealed to me, but obviously in real life there are cults and groups, you know, whatever, whether it be like religious cults or whether it would be, you know, like neo-Nazi movements and stuff where people, you know, people do crave... Structure, mm. like you know, I guess he's off. I guess he's offering structures to people who feel like they don't mm-hmm. have any structure. You know, like the army. You know, yeah, yeah. Like work, they're all working towards something, and they feel like they have some, you know, greater purpose. Which maybe if they were just working behind a bar or in a convenience store or wherever it might be, they wouldn't have. Yes, yeah, so then they all they all get accepted into this house where they start Project Mayhem, mm-hmm. which you don't really find out what that is initially. It's it's just little bits of like, well, like I said earlier, just causing destruction, yeah. and then it builds into destroying banking buildings or whatever, yeah. credit card companies. They're basically terrorists, domestic, domestic terrorists. Yeah. yeah. They start as vandals and then they work their way up to terrorism. Yeah. yeah. Um, and at one point, Ed Norton tries to hand himself into the police. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it turns out that he's got the police on his side. Yeah. It's, so it's then... spread so far that everyone's in, in on it, including the police. Yeah. Oh, you did miss... I don't know if you we're going to circle back to it, but Helena Bonham Carter is still in the movie. Oh yeah, she's having a lot of sex with Brad Pitt. Yeah, she she, she starts sleeping with Brad Pitt, and Edward Norton can hear them in the next room, and it's mm. causing him a lot of like anger and distress. Mm-hmm. But then, obviously, as we find out, mm. it's not really the case. No, but it does feature a scene that you re- referenced earlier, which really got a big <laughs> laugh out of me <laughs> when Brad Pitt opens the door fully naked, you know, in the middle of sleeping with mm. Helen Bonham Carter, and they've obviously just been fucking, and he's wearing 
bright yellow rubber gloves. <laughs> yeah. And you can draw from that whatever you want. Yes. <laughs> no, that was very good. Yeah. Apparently that was Brad Pitt's idea. Great. When I learned about that, I was like, oh, maybe Brad Pitt is, isn't that boring. That's a good, funny, dark <laughs> joke. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so... What, are they, what goes on next? Brad Pitt disappears at one point. Ed Norton tr- tries to trace him down all over the country, finds that there's fight clubs all over the country. Well, think, yeah, things start escalating uh, out of Ed Norton's control. Uh, like, yeah. uh, Meatloaf gets killed. I think yeah. that's I think that's the, the thing that's, that that's really... The, that's the thing, yeah. Yeah, because they're doing some terrorist activity. Is that when they blow up the big circle that yeah. rolls into the Starbucks or yeah. the coffee shop? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, a bunch of them are doing a, committing an act of vandalism or terrorism including Meatloaf, and the police try and stop them, and they run away, and while they're running away, Meatloaf gets shot in the head. Mm-hmm. So he's dead. He dead. Yeah. So, yeah, he, he goes around all the cities, finds that there's different fire clubs that have been happening. He, he's looking for Tyler. Tyler Durden, yeah. Yeah, and he's, he's, he's tracking him with all the ticket stubs that he keeps finding yeah. and but stuff. It's become like a national conspiracy now, like, all men are in this, it seems. Yeah. And none of them will... Tell him what he needs, what he wants to know, mm-hmm. because they're all like done this vow of silence about not talking about Saladin. Yeah, and then eventually someone does tell him, mm-hmm. and is that when he puts two and two together? Yeah, um, it's the the guy uh, in the neck brace. Yeah, the guy in the neck brace kind of tells him, yeah. just like you were here two days ago, so you were standing right there or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when he just about puts two and two together, and so he he calls Marla and just like we we ever slept together, and like he's clearly he's got the idea in his head, and then she confirms it. Yeah, then. You know, the film tells us that for the next ten minutes yeah. over, the, over the course of a recap. Mm-hmm. You got to feel like what a crappy relationship for her. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> you think about all the interactions they have. It is fun to watch it the second time round and to see how they do that. How Brad Pitt is never on screen with Helena Bonham Carter apart yeah. from like a few shots of them fucking. Yeah. And really, like again, it's it's like the Sixth Sense. Like it's so easy to watch it after you know the twist and be like, oh my god, it's so obvious. Mm. But obviously, if you're not looking for it, mm-hmm. you're not going to think that way. Yeah. But yeah, the, the scene when they have the fight and Brad Pitt's in the basement, mm. it's so obvious that he's not there. Mm-hmm. Like, it's really, really obvious that he's not there. Mm. But yeah, again, you wouldn't necessarily, you would never assume that that was what was going to happen. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, well, then does it go to the skyscraper bit from there? Where were we? So yeah, he finds he, out he's he, talented. He, 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 goes, he goes to a hotel room. Brad Pitt's there, sitting in a chair with his new buzz cut. Yeah. Oh, that's it. But the reason he's looking for Brad Pitt all over the place is that once he finds out this, about the split personalities, mm. he finds all the plans for this like mass act of terrorism across the country, mm-hmm. which is where they're going to blow up like twenty four or some. I think it's twenty four or a certain number of banking buildings, like high profile mm-hmm. banking buildings. And the idea is to wipe out all the banks in America. Yeah. Wipe out everyone's debts. Wipe out capitalism basically in one giant. Mm-hmm cross-country terrorist act mm-hmm. and so he's desperately running around trying to find Tyler to try and stop this somehow mm-hmm. and then at some, a certain point he finds him with a van full of explosives because mm-hmm. the other thing is that they created all these high explosives built from soap yes soap built from body fat built, soap built from body fat that they stole from outside a liposuction clinic mm-hmm. which was disgusting <laughs> yeah it was <laughs> yeah and so then uh, him and Brad Pitt have a little bit of a fight by an explosive van, explosive filled van. And then they go upstairs and they have a big conversation. Ned Norton has a big realization, just like, wait, the gun's not in your hand, it's in my hand. Yeah. And yeah, then he eventually shoots himself in the mouth. I don't know how that worked. I guess that he shot himself in the mouth, but kind of out the side. So, like. It felt like he could, he should have been dead. It felt like he would have just fucked off his jawbone. Yeah. He would have blown his jawbone clean off, I think. Like, yeah. yeah. But also, I don't know how that gets rid of Brad Pitt. 
I, I don't know either. No, this is where like it, it's, it's a cool it's, ending. It's, 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 it's don't question. It, yeah, it's, it's symbolic. It's, he shot himself in the head. Yeah, yeah, sure. I don't think this is a good how-to guide for dealing with a mental health problem. If you have no. like dissociative personality disorder, <laughs> no, God, don't choose a hole in your cheek. That's not going to fix it. Oh God, yeah. Mm. And uh, yeah, then that's that's pretty much it. Uh, Helen the Bonham Carter comes up and she's like, "Oh my God, what happened to your face?" Yeah, which is. Great reaction that she has. Like, oh, she's yeah. shouting at him initially, and then she's like, oh my god, your face, what's wrong with it? Yeah. And then they watch together, hand in hand, as all these skyscrapers come collapsing down. Yeah, and the Pixies song plays, and, 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 and the film ends. Yeah. yeah. And he says, you met me at a weird time of my life. As if, like, everything's going to just be fine now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's not going to be any fallout from this. Yeah. No, no, yeah. certainly not. And that is Fight Club. That is, that is, that is, yeah, that is a vague recollection of Fight Club. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> game are you playing at? Putting me on a fucking bu- Oh my god, your face. Yeah, I know. What happened? I would ask. You're shot. Yes, I'm shot. Oh my god. Who did this? I did, actually. Find some gauze. You shot yourself? Yes, but it's okay. Marla, look at me. I'm really okay. Trust me. Everything's gonna be fine. You met me at a very strange time in my life. Well, yeah, what a film. Yeah. That really is some ideas. It's yeah, it's a lot of big ideas. Mm. Most of which most of it works. I think most of it does. You've kind of turned me off it, though. Now. I didn't mean to. I don't like it when I do that. Like, mm. I don't want to like change your opinion on things. Like, mm. yeah, there were just elements of it that I thought were a little bit maybe uncomfortable. But that doesn't—that's not a bad thing, like necessarily. Mm. You know? Yeah. If, if there is one criticism that I will stand by, is that it is such a straight man's film. Like, yeah. It is so has no interest in anyone else's point of view. Helena Bonham Carter's character doesn't really have a point of view. She's just there to be. Mm-hmm. An object, you know, like mm. you know, she's got personality. She's not. It's not like she's this blank slate. Mm. But she's what she does when she's not around those characters is of no interest to anyone in this film. Yeah. You know what I mean, like, yeah. And also, there's nobody, there's nobody telling these characters that what they're doing is wrong. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Like, there's no voice of reason in this film. No, there's not. It's like this film hates everybody. <laughs> there's not a single ray of light. There's not a single happy person in the film. Mm. It really has a very like negative outlook, mm. which again is that's valid. Mm-hmm. Not, not films need to be like aspirational. Literally, there are two women who speak in this whole movie. There's Helena Bonham Carter, and there's the woman with cancer. Yeah. That one, the one scene in the beginning. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's it. Mm-hmm. So, definitely needs a few more women. Mm-hmm. I'd say a different point of view. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Okay, drinking games. Sure. First one I've got is drink for losing teeth. Losing teeth. I, where Ed Norton spits out a tooth. Who else mm-hmm. loses a tooth? Dried Leto. Oh, does he? Yeah. Oh, of course he would. And there's it, definitely a few people who land face down on the ground. Oh, oh yeah, there's lots of like male heads smacking against concrete. Mm. Definitely, yeah. We didn't really talk about Jared Leto being in this film. No, I mean, he's not that notable. He's not. To, no. I always on, on, for- on a scale of Jared Leto films. Sure. I always forget how long he's been around, though. Yeah. I always think of him as being quite young, because I remember a few weeks ago, you pitched him as someone to play someone in the like, 20s, and I was like... I'm pretty sure he's closer to 30 or, or 40 even. Mm. He's 47. Is he? <laughs> yeah, he's been around the block. Like, I mean, yeah. he's obviously he doesn't look 47. He's one of these people who just looks a lot younger than he is. Yeah. But like, yeah, I was, I was like, oh God, you, you, you have been popping up since like the 90s, I guess. Mm. Just something I 
Mm. I forgot. With his peroxide blonde hair. <laughs> weird prosthetics when he gets beaten up. Like. Yeah. But uh, yes, certainly drink for lost teeth. Yeah. <laughs> Very obvious first one, but drink for clues to uh, oh, yeah. to the twist, obviously. Yeah, sure. Like, lots of times I've like grabbed people, just walk out the room or go downstairs or mm. just to make sure that they... they he never interacts with another human being, particularly. He's not Ed Norton. I've also got drink for different frames of Brad Pitt. How do you mean frames? Did you clock that in the first, like, third of the film? That just every now and then... You know that scene in the cinema when Brad Pitt... Oh, when he's putting the... In? Yeah, when he's putting yeah. the porn slots in the movies, yeah. In the first third of the film, there's different frames just like that, of, just of Brad Pitt. Oh, really? In bits. Have, have you not seen this? Maybe I didn't. But I'm, not not of his cock, just of him. Yeah, he, just, he just, 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 just of him in different scenes. Like, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll find one for you. Okay. The whole film's got this kind of disorienting quality to it because there's lots mm. of different camera techniques used. So I don't know if I specifically picked up on it, but okay, that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good drinking game too because you need like really watchful eyes to catch yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Drink for bullshit philosophy. Great. I've talked yep. about it before, how, uh, you know, Brad Pitt's whole worldview just mm-hmm. really annoyed me. Oh, Scene we didn't discuss, uh, which is probably the peak of this, is when he holds up the convenience store guy and um, oh, yeah. pulls the gun to his head. Yeah. So they rob this convenience store. Brad Pitt walks into this they convenience store. It, they no, just... they didn't steal anything. No, he just walks in, takes this poor guy out, this poor Korean guy, mm-hmm. gets him down on his knees, puts a gun at his head, and says, mm-hmm. "You're going to die today." Mm-hmm. And then he tells him, "Like, what do you? What do you want? To, what do you want to be? What, what do you want to be? Yeah. Did you really want to be a convenience? It's also that's the other thing. This film is." Or his character is so classist. Yeah. Like, it's so like, oh, if you're just doing a, a nine-to-five working-class job, your life is worthless. It's mm. basically what he's saying to this mm-hmm. guy. He's like, what did you want to be? What did you go to college for? And he's like, I wanted to be a vet, I guess. And, mm. and this guy's obviously crying and sobbing and thinking mm-hmm. he's not to be shot in the head. And he's like, well, I'm going to let you live, but if you're not on your way to being a vet in the next six weeks, mm-hmm. then I'm going to fucking kill you. Mm. And then Ed Norton's like, why the fuck did you, did you do that? Mm. It was awful. And Brad Pitt says, because tomorrow will be the best day of that guy's life. He'll be happier than we've ever, mm-hmm. than you'll ever be. I thought, no, he won't be. <laughs> he's going to have horrendous PTSD. Yeah, he's, he's going to be looking over his shoulder the whole time. Yeah, he's going to think he's got someone, some psychopath stalking him. He's not going to enjoy being a vet if you're no, a vet. <laughs> it's never going to feel like a sense of personal achievement. He's no. Not, yeah. And also, yeah, maybe he couldn't afford to carry on in college. Maybe you know? that's why he's got a job at the moment, so he yeah. can afford to carry on exactly. in college it was just, and oh, it was do such what bulls- he needs to do. It was such bullshit. Also, maybe he just wants to work in a convenience that's store. That's absolutely fine, yeah. yeah. <laughs> maybe that dream died. Because really yeah. it was really like, oh, I don't know, I guess I studied stuff. Maybe I wanted to be yeah. a vet. It was like, yeah, it'd be like if someone put a gun to your head right now, what, what do you want to be that you're not? Like, you mm. just make something up, wouldn't you? Yeah. You know? But yeah, that was the peak of it for me. Just this utter, utter bullshit, entitled, privileged mm. philosophy that annoyed me. But I think it's supposed to annoy you. Like, yeah. But yeah, drink through all of those. Yeah. Yeah. Someday the things you own are going to own you. Like, fuck you. Fuck off. <laughs> Some people just like having a nice sofa. That's okay. <laughs> not you, though. Obviously not me. No. You piece of shit. Well, sorry. Jesus. Wow. Do, you want, do you want me to pull a gun on you? Sorry, no. This film's taken me some places. Anyway, um, drink whenever he gets called sir. Oh, yes. Very good. Yeah. Brad Pitt's character, that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, Ed Norton. Oh, yeah. The same, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good. Drink every time a man cries. Mm-hmm. Mostly in the group therapy scenes, of course. But, uh, sure, yeah. Yeah, we do have a lot of uh, male tears in this film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, drink whenever you see soap. Oh, yes. That's good. Few bits of that. No sense that anyone ever washes. No. Considering they have a lot of soap going around. No. Although Brad, and obviously it's because he's not a real thing, he's a figment of the imagination, but it is notable that despite them living in this disgusting house, and Ed Norton looks fairly grimy, well, he's Mm. very grimy by the end because his Mm. whole body's messed up. Yeah. But Brad Pitt does always look very clean. He does, yeah. What did you think of his look in this film, Brad Pitt's look? I quite liked it. It was very 
very 90s. It really was. Like with the shades and, and the like the frosted a lot, tips. A lot of sunglasses in this Sunglasses. Film. The frosted tips were what really sent over the edge for me. You know, like mm. the... Um, oh, yeah. The little bit of blonde on there. Yeah. It kind of looked like a like a trendy 90s lesbian. <laughs> that was the vibe I was getting, really. <laughs> I was going to say like a member of Backstreet Boys or something Yeah, that, like that too, yeah. Backstreet Boys meets a lesbian, yeah. Mm. I don't know. <laughs> Backstreet lesbians. Mm. Um, drink whenever anybody takes off an item of clothing. Oh, there we go, yeah. yeah. I will say, considering this feels like a very blokes, blokes, blokes kind of film, I don't think Helena Bonham Carter had to get her tits out at any point. I know there's the breast cancer yeah, scene, she, but she never she, actually shows she, she, them. She, she did at one point. Oh, did she? Okay, fine. A weird sort of computer-animated... Oh, is it when they're having sex? thing. And it's like they're having sex as if doing The Matrix. Yeah, that sort yeah. of thing, yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't notice. Yeah. But I don't know if they were her tits or if they were computer sure. tits, but they were tits below her face. Fair enough. <laughs> below her face. That's <laughs> that's the definition we're going with. Fine. Well, I'll take it back, but it didn't... It didn't overly objectify her as much as much as maybe it could have done. Mm. Which is a good thing, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's all I've got. Okay. Uh, okay. Drink... Well, drink for smoking, mm-hmm. but more specifically, because obviously every time Helena Bonham Carter's on screen and most of the time that Brad Pitt's on screen, there's a lit cigarette, but drink every time they throw away a cigarette. <laughs> Nobody in this film ever puts a cigarette out. Mm. They never, like, stub anything out. It's always just... It's because they don't care about anything. Dramatic. Yeah, but it's so, like... It, it got really funny to me towards the end because I started imagining all the, like, incidental fires they were causing just by mm-hmm. wandering around because every time they got rid of a cigarette, they would just, like, dramatically fling it out of their mouths and mm. fling it into, like, with no care in the world for where it might be going. Mm-hmm. Like, in a bin, on the grass, on dry grass, you know. <laughs> Could be anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we laugh. Uh, okay, drink for injuries. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the most memorable scenes, of course. I mean, obviously everyone's getting beaten up all the time, mm. but I guess the most memorable and one of the big clues that they're the same person is the chemical burn scene mm. when yeah. he has to put the burning soap in his hand. Yeah. It's a, that's pretty pretty intense. Yeah, that one is, definitely. Two more. Drink for CGI. Mm-hmm. There's a fair bit in this film, actually. Mm. Like, there's a fair, a lot, quite a lot of effects. Like, yeah, there really the, are. Yeah, like the, the penguin. The, peng- the penguin, that's, yeah, that was, mm. that was an odd little moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also, obviously, when he shoots himself in the face mm-hmm. and the effect of the bullet ripping through his cheek, that's yeah. certainly something. Uh, what else? I feel like there's more. I mean, obviously, there's lots of different camera tricks, like you mentioned. You know, the, that does not, that's not CGI necessarily, but Brad Pitt showing up in a single frame, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, a lot of weirdness like that. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is definitely... I mean, it's David Fincher, mm. the director, who has done... He did The Social Network. Mm-hmm. He did Gone Girl, which we've mm-hmm. done. Seven. I think he's worked with Brad Pitt a lot. He mm. did Seven with Brad Pitt as well. I, I think there's another Brad Pitt film he did as well. Did he do Gone Girl? He did do Gone Girl, I think, yeah. Directed it, yeah. I thought that was Darren Aronofsky. No. Oh, no, no, no. Definitely David Fincher. Who am I going to... Wait. Darren Aronofsky did uh, Black Swan. Yep, that's it. I was thinking of films that we did with Ollie. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, cool. di- very different guy. Yeah. Okay, well, before we get to any sequels... Oh, wait, um, I've got one more. <sighs> Sorry, I had a lot of thoughts on this one. You shouldn't have chosen... I'm rushing, so we've got a film to see. Oh, okay, fine. Drink for penis or ball references. You already said that one. Did I know I? you said it much earlier, earlier in the episode. Well, I'm just saying, but this, no. film is obs- this film is obsessed with cock. That wasn't worth the wait. Okay, fine. Move on. I'm sorry. Yeah. Right, now I'm grumpy. So, listeners... If you are less grumpy than me and um, you feel a bit generous, maybe, 
and you've enjoyed this episode or you've enjoyed any other episode that we've done before, then maybe you'd consider supporting us by giving us a little bit of money every month on Patreon.com. Go to Patreon.com slash set, where you can support us for as much or as little as you think we're worth. Um, if you do, you get a few different bonus features. Firstly, you get access to our exclusive Facebook group, where we've got other patrons all posting different things related to episodes and different conversation starters. It's a good place. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a good, it's a good friendly space online. Yes. There's not many friendly spaces online these days. No. That's, that's one of them, though. Um, another thing, you get a bonus show from us called Beyond Beyond the Box Set, where every week we review a film that we see in the cinema. Yeah. We're about to go and see Doctor Sleep, which could be a bit of craziness or could be a bit of nothing. Who knows? Who can tell? Stephen King. Never know. Could go, could go out, it could really go either way. Definitely. And, yeah, also, once a month, every patron can um, have a 30-second advert slot on the show where you can advertise anything you want. It could be your own podcast, your own business, whatever you feel like talking about, 30 seconds. Time's yeah. yours. And also, once a month, we'll have a patron episode where we invite a patron, picked at random, well, more sort of recycle through them to, to keep it fair, and you get to choose an episode for the main show. You can come and guest on it if you want. You can guest in person, guest online, or you can just not guest at all, get us to do it for you, and, um, yeah. That's it. Again, you're the boss. All that is available at patreon.com slash set. Excellent. Let's see, Alex. Uh, what do you think of Jaws, which is at 97% Rotten Tomatoes? I find it to be anti-shark propaganda. What do you feel about the Entourage movie, which is at a meager 33%? I think they finally got Hollywood right. How about It Follows, 97%. Worse than your parents giving you the sex is evil talk. How do you feel about Juno, which is at 94%? That would be a movie that celebrates a teenage homewrecker. Uh, how about Bewitched at 25%? Best television adaptation ever put to film. How do you feel about American Hustle at a towering 93%? Overwrought awards bait. Righteous Kill, 19%. The movie that Michael Mann wishes he had made when he created Heat. Sounds about right. I'm Julio. I'm Alex, and we are the Contrarians. As you can tell, our thing is that we rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. Regardless of what we really feel. Find us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn. Facebook, Twitter, we're everywhere. Okay, so does that mean we're getting to sequels? Yes, and I believe that you're first. I am first, okay. So I had a few thoughts for this one. This one obviously ends in quite open-ended ways, so... Mm -hmm. Well, one thing I really noticed was that, as I mentioned before, this film isn't great for women. Mm. Not a lot of good writing for women in this film. Mm -hmm. So one thing I thought about was to do a version of this film in which Marla is also a part of the same split personality. Okay. So Helena Bonham Carter's character, maybe she's like the feminine side. Ah. And he's constantly like, you know, resenting her and running away from her. But also, sure. Also, he kind of wants to fuck her, mm -hmm. which is like he, he wants to fuck Brad Pitt. It's mm -hmm. kind of, you know... All very confused. Mm. But I decided not to go down that route in the end because I couldn't really think of anywhere to go with it other than just to make a point. Sure, but it works. It does work. It could potentially work. Yeah. So instead, what I have done is a direct sequel mm -hmm. set 20 years later. Mm -hmm. So we're in the present day, roughly. Mm -hmm. uh, and it is all about Tyler Durden or whatever Edward Norton's real name is because mm -hmm. it's all about his son. Okay. So what I'm saying is my premise for this sequel is that... Obviously, Ed Norton got locked away for life for blowing up all those buildings. Like, that right. goes without saying. You know? Yeah. So he's, in, he's in, in prison for life. But at some point in their relationship, Marla, Helen Bonham Carter's character, got mm -hmm. pregnant. Because mm -hmm. I feel like her character probably doesn't take too much care of her sexual health. I can't imagine mm. she's particularly rigorous about, you know... I wonder. She seems pretty devil-may-care about everything, you know. Yeah. 
Yeah, but then, like, getting pregnant? No, I do think she'd probably have an abortion, to be fair. Mm. Like, But for the purposes of this sequel, she doesn't. Sure, okay. Maybe the whole Edward Norton getting sent to prison for life, and mm. maybe it gives her some kind of weird desire to... Some some reason to keep the baby, who knows? Mm-hmm. But just for the purpose of the sequel, she keeps the baby. Yeah, great, sure. So, basically, Ed Norton now has a son who was conceived around the time of the original film. Therefore, he is about 20 now. Great. Okay. Who is this? Good question. Mm-hmm. We can't just keep going for Timothy Chalamet over and over again. Thank like. God. But I don't know. Lucas Hedges, maybe? He's got an Ed Norton See, so you're cycling back to the same... But who else is there? I don't, I don't know that many actors who were like 20. Mm, okay, what, what sort of character are we talking? Well, he's the son of Edward Norton, so you need to imagine that. And the son of Edward Norton and what, Helen. What were his Carter. characteristics like? Is, is this kid like a normal kid, or is he going to get a bit crazy Oh, no, weird? he's going to get a bit crazy and weird. He's, yeah, okay. he's an outcast. He's a weirdo. Okay, give me a second, give me a second. I've, I've, I've got a guy. Okay. Come on, IMDb, load faster. <laughs> um, uh, the, the, the guy's name is Cameron Monaghan, I think his name, I think you pronounce his surname. In Gotham, he plays the Joker. Oh, okay. Um, he was born... Um, oh, same as me, 1993, so he'll be 26 right now. That works. Mm-hmm. The guy who played the... Yeah. Oh, okay. I was thinking of the guy who played the Penguin. I was like, he can't only be 26. No, no. But... That, that that guy in Gotham. Okay. Yeah, that works. That works perfectly. Cameron Monaghan, did you say? Yeah. Okay, sure. Cameron Monaghan, best known for Gotham, mm-hmm. is stepping up for his film career in this fantasy sequel to Fight Club. So, obviously, Marlo, Helena Bonham Carter's character, was not a very good mother, because no. she was a mess of a human being. Okay. So, he actually got taken into care when he was very young, mm-hmm. and didn't realise who his parents were. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, he's had no relationship with his mother or his father, because obviously Ed Norton is still very much in jail, mm-hmm. or maybe in some kind of mental health institute, because he's clearly unwell. Mm-hmm. So, we pick up in the present day, this kid is now... Uh, we need to give this kid a name. Oh, what, what, what's his surname? Is it is it Durden? I guess technically, although it's probably been changed from foster parents, but, you know. Oh, sorry, did he say foster parents? Oh, I just need a name to refer to him by. Okay. Um, John Lucas. That's not, that's my name! <laughs> just call him Tyler. Tyler Tyler Jr. Tyler, Tyler Jr. Yeah, Great. Yeah. Sure. It's, it's, it doesn't matter yeah. at all. Uh, just so I can refer to him as something. Yeah. Yeah, so he's now in his early 20s, and he's a college dropout with no prospects, no love life, and a very seriously inflated sense of entitlement. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, his adopted family have tried to sh- their best to shield him from the horrific actions of his father, which obviously, you know, caused a huge amount of problems in the world. He blew up all the banks, so we can imagine there was a giant financial crash, a lot of problems. But let's just say 20 years later, the world has, mm, you know, slowly recovered. Yeah. Pieced themselves back together. Yeah. Capitalism always comes back. We all got our debt back. We, yeah, we all, thank God, we managed to claw all our debt back, yeah. Mm-hmm. His adopted family tried to shield all this from him. Let's say his, his adopted family are very, like, stable and normal and mm-hmm. fine. But now he finds out. Maybe this film, maybe the first half of this film is him covering how he finds out the truth about who his father is. Yeah. And what he did. And he becomes, obviously, he has to process and deal with that. And he becomes obsessed with tracking his father down and getting back in touch with him. Mm-hmm. He's obviously never spoken to Ed Norton in his life before. Yeah. Uh, so he finds out what prison he's in and actually does manage to go and try and see him. Mm-hmm. But it turns out that 20 years later, I'm thinking Ed Norton just does a little cameo in this film, just mm-hmm. like a little connecting cameo. Sure. He's basically a very heavily medicated, broken shell of a man because he, he's just been in like probably a mental health institute for like 20 years, just on like heavy antidepressants or antipsychotic drugs to, you mm-hmm. know, to deal with his problems. Also, he has half a face, you know, he's mm-hmm. a blue face. So, you know, he's not getting any closure from that situation, basically. That doesn't help him at all. Mm-hmm. So he's disappointed by this meeting, but he starts to get deeper and deeper into conspiracy theories and incel culture, basically, because this kind of sets off a train of him researching about 
the attacks and what his father did and mm-hmm. he starts to feel like his father was done this great injustice that society kind of drove him to this place and then chewed up and spat him out basically so mm-hmm. it really and because he's also is himself a bit of a failure in life like i said he's got no friends no love life he's got no job or any career or anything so he's he's just again your classic entitled white guy whose life hasn't turned out the way he thinks he deserves and it's giving him problems sure yeah so around this time he starts manifesting his own imaginary friend his own tyler durden kind mm-hmm. of thing if you will but instead of being like a Brad Pitt style like alpha male, his imaginary best friend is a sassy gay man. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever watch Glee? No. No. There's a character, uh, Chris Colfer he's called. Okay. There was a, a, a gay kid in Glee, basically. Mm. He was very, very like effeminate, high voice, like, you know, mm-hmm. pretty stereotypical. But he's very funny though. Something and that's his, like, you know. He's, sure. He's got a sassy gay best friend who he lives with, who it mm-hmm. turns out, who, spoiler alert, is part of his own brain basically because mm-hmm. again this is, this is me kind of reacting to the fact that this film the gay people don't exist in this film minorities don't exist in this film yeah it's just yeah. a film for men so instead of it being like a mentor relationship where obviously in the original brad pitt represented everything that ed norton kind of wanted to be uh, in this version tyler jr sees let's just call him chris the sassy best friend yeah he sees the sassy gay friend as like his annoying roommate who's moved into his apartment and is just making his life miserable mm-hmm because he just won't leave. He's he's really flamboyantly gay, which Tyler Jr. finds annoying. He he's he's quite homophobic. Mm-hmm. He doesn't like that at all. But this guy won't leave. He's always bringing guys back to the flat to sleep with, obviously. And worst of all, he started a group called Rom Com Club, <laughs> where him and a bunch of other gay men come together once a week to watch classic chick flicks and talk about their feelings. Great, yeah. yeah. And this drives Tyler kind of insane. <laughs> Yeah, so sure you can see where sense. I'm going with this. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's like, um, obviously, because it's the, the same person, it kind of represents that he obviously does have, you know, he is gay or ha- has, you know, gay feelings, mm-hmm. but he can't express them. He's like, he's repressing or repressing them. Yeah. And they're being manifest by this character who's just living his best gay life, basically. And, mm-hmm. you know, getting to talk about his feelings and, you know, watch rom-coms and all the things that none of the characters in this original film ever did. Mm-hmm. I guess it just follows the same kind of trajectory of like, it drives the, the sun insane. The sun's also getting deeper and deeper into like conspiracy theories and trying to figure out how to get revenge for his dad. Mm-hmm. So it's all of this stuff kind of coming on top of him. Uh, and that's pretty much where my ideas ended. So I needed to think of how does this, how does all this wrap up? Hmm. Um, oh, I don't know. So I need to connect the closet gay trying to like fight that side of himself with his imaginary friend side mm-hmm. with the incel culture trying to get revenge for his crazy dad side. Sounds like he needs to pick a side. Yeah. I think you leave it open. So he needs to, oh, it's a, yeah, he needs to choose between two mm. very different lifestyles. Yeah. Mm. I think that maybe you leave it open or you show that you show him picking both, but kind of individually. And then you leave it as like a, oh, which one did he pick? Mm. Which one's real? Which one's just imagination? Mm. Is he going to figure out that all oh, those guys that my annoying roommate slept with, I slept with all those guys, you know? Uh, yeah. Mm. But he could still deny it. He could, sure. But I think he, at some point he needs to have a moment of realisation. I don't know how, like... How would a rom-com club go out of control in the way that, like, a, <laughs> a fight club would? Uh, maybe he's now making his own rom-com film. Oh, okay. Yeah, I like this, yeah. Yeah. So, like, he's he's written and directed this thing. Maybe him and his sassy gay roommate, they start a podcast. Oh, no. Yeah, they start, like, a rom-com podcast. Nothing good ever happened. No, 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 no good ever came from starting <laughs> a podcast. But maybe it's a podcast dedicated to reviewing classic chick flicks. Mm-hmm. And then it gets really big. <clears throat> And at a certain point, he has a realisation that he's it's a one-man show, and he's the only one who's doing it, doing two different voices. Uh, okay. Yeah, maybe get, yeah. He get maybe it becomes so successful, they get like a 
gigs actually like an interview somewhere where they get a gig <laughs> yeah and then it's what it's only then when he turns up that the world realizes that it's been one guy doing two voices mm-hmm. so it's not just that he's that's a very modern take yeah 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 <laughs> on fight club yeah he starts well, a podcast that's what i was trying to do yeah i'm trying to bring into <laughs> bring, i know you said bring into y2k but no yeah. bring into the new millennium baby <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm old uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, he starts a podcast, great, yeah. um, has to go and do a live show, and he's constantly like, where is, like... Where, yeah, and that's where, when the sassy gay friend disappears, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where is he? He's supposed to be here. Like, he's, he was, I know he was on his way, he told me he was on his way. Yeah, and then th- that's when he realises that it's all been him doing multiple voices the whole time. Mm. And the audience doesn't know that either, because it's, it's an audio medium. Yeah. So then he gets exposed as being, like, having a, a split personality. Or maybe like he doesn't even realise until he's doing it on stage, he's doing yeah. both voices. Yeah. And we we see both people, but the audience... Like, as, the audience of the film, and then the audience in the crowd, they only see one person. Yeah. And they're all having really weird reactions to it, and then maybe it's after the show's done. That's when like somebody comes up and compliments him, and they're just like, I never realised that you were doing both voices the whole time. Yes. Boom, there's your twist. There we go. Love it, love it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that works. So then, then he he realizes that it's been him the whole time, and he's we get the flashbacks. We'll see the same scenes we've seen before of like mm-hmm. I, I'm you know bringing all the guys back, watching all these chick flicks and mm. stuff. And it was him the whole time, and he has to deal with all of that. Yeah. Um, and then I don't know somehow he spirals into this whole terrorist incident. I, don't mm-hmm. know. I mean, that's quite the that's quite a joke. Did, did a podcast show. Maybe we don't need yeah, <laughs> on maybe rom-coms. Don't, maybe I wanted to bring <laughs> to be fair. I mean, maybe we don't need that element. To it. I was just trying to bring Ed Norton in somehow. Like, mm. But maybe we don't need that plotline. Maybe it's just about him coming to terms with his sexuality and via the medium of a podcast. Yeah. 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 I like that better, I think. Okay, yeah, yeah. Let's mm. just let's bring it down a notch then. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Kids today don't have the ambition to do all to do fight clubs. They're just they just podcast <laughs> or shit. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So that was um Rom Com Club. Fight Club Rom-com Two Rom Com Club. Club, yeah. Oh, very nice. Okay. Which I guess is the name of the podcast. Rom Com Club. It's a big good name for a podcast. Yeah. If it doesn't, if it doesn't really exist. exist already, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so mine I've given it a title because I had an idea, but then I didn't actually continue with that idea fully. It kind of evolved the other way. Okay. So this is this film is going to be set around the same time. It's going to centre around Marla. Oh, okay. So it's from her perspective. The, Hel- the Helena Bonham Carter character. Yeah, yeah, her perspective. It's going to be that. <clears throat> now, initially, I was going to do it where she creates her own fight club called mm-hmm. Bitch Club. Bitch Club, like it. Um, yeah. But I didn't end up doing it or I've not got there yet. But okay. like, you know, it's not a complete it's two thirds of an idea right here. We'll we'll do the last bit together. But yeah, so this is Bitch Club. Okay. First rule of Bitch Club is always Only talk about Bitch Club behind Bitch Club's back. Yeah. <laughs> there it is. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so this is gonna pick up a few years beforehand. Uh-huh. Bit of an origin story. Right, okay. Start with an intro scene where Marla is in a family home. Mm-hmm. Um, she looks completely different to how she has in Fight Club. She's pretty well presented. Oh, I see. This is before she's gone off the rails, started yeah. smoking and mm-hmm. become like this weird New York goth. Okay. Yeah. And we first see her, she's in her bedroom with her husband, who is... Oh, she's her, married. Who, yeah, who is hurling loads of abuse towards her. Oh, uh, okay. Just basically being the worst kind of person you okay. can imagine. You've probably got a picture in your head. Mm-hmm. Eventually, he gets a bit violent, punching her in the face, knocking her oh, no. to the ground. And then he instantly gets her up, hugs her, claiming that he didn't mean to do it, and that, you know I'd never hurt you, Marla, I'm a good guy, I'm a good mm. guy. Okay, so you've got your classic abusive husband here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then we hear a baby crying in the other room, you know, from the commotion. Oh, no. Um, and he lets her go, and uh, he sits down on the bed, switches on the TV, grabs a beer, mm-hmm. lets her deal with the baby. Sure. 
And Tamala goes to the kids' room. There's actually two kids under under ten and a baby as well. She's got three kids. She's got three kids. I think Helena Barbacar was very young when she did this film, you know. Was she? Probably only like early twenties, but sure. Do you think? She's only like forty eight now. Maybe maybe she's I mean, I know she's made up to not look very good. Yeah. She's really only that young. I think so, yeah. Let me just have a quick little look here. So when was Fight Club? 98, 99? Okay, well, she was born in 1966. Oh, okay. So That'd be 32. Okay, I take it back. That's old enough to have three kids. I mean, if you started young, you'd have three kids under 10 yeah. by then, yeah? Okay, sure. Let's just say she did start young. That, that, that fits. No, that's fine. That's fine. So the scene, the scene shows us that they're they're quite a poor family, uh, mainly because of their dad's habits. But all the kids are in one room because right. they can only afford a small place. Okay, are they still in like New York or wherever this is set? Right. Um, they're in a house, somewhere. in a house somewhere. Yeah, sure. Yeah. The kids, that's all that Marla's got. Like she loves them very much. She's mm. they're, they're her world. Okay, so this is very much. She's not the character we see in the in the film. She's actually very attentive and caring mm. and a good mom and yeah, responsible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, interesting. Um, now, after putting the baby down to bed, she doesn't want to face going back to the bedroom mm-hmm. um, with her husband. So she she goes downstairs and just starts getting on some housework. Um, she takes, takes the bins out to the front yard, and then suddenly there was a flash in the sky. There was a whoosh and the mighty bang as we see a meteor fly down out of the sky and completely destroy her house. Oh wow! You've taken it supernatural or post-apocalyptic? No, no, no. Or? Just a meteor came and hit and just a her random house. tragedy. Complete, a ran- completely random tragedy. Okay. So how does she survive? Sorry. Uh, she was outside just putting the bins out. Okay, a very, a very uh, it's specifically. Vi- it's very, very, located. very coincidental. Okay, sure. Intentionally. Right. Okay. Right. Like I've written that intentionally. Okay. Um, yeah, and she gets knocked to the ground. She gets up, runs to the ruins of her house, which doesn't resemble any kind of structure anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, she can't find her children. But you know, we all know that they're dead. They're gone. Oh, this is dark. Yeah. So basically, the message that we're supposed to get from that is that. Marla doesn't care about anything anymore because, as one point she says, when she's stood in the middle of busy traffic, like, you could just die at any point for any reason. Oh, I see. So the utter randomness of her... Oh, that's good. It's it's completely random and very unexpected. Mm. And just suddenly... Her family's gone. That makes sense. Because the, the blink of an eye, yeah. everything's gone. That works because... She's lost the, her whole life, but she's yeah. left behind. The whole film, that she, the, the actual film, she's always like stepping into the middle of the road and like not looking back, like it, literally into oncoming traffic. So it's mm. like she has this absolute death wish, complete disregard for her own life. Yeah. That, that makes sense. That's a good origin story for that. I like that. Yeah. yeah. It's the best bit of this whole idea. Okay. <laughs> well... So far, so good. <laughs> yeah, cut to a few years later, and uh, Marla is a support group mm. for people who've gone through severe uh, mental trauma. Um, and there's a new arrival to the group. It's a man called Jeffrey, played by Edward Norton, of course. Okay. Did Jeffrey just name you pulled out of thin air? Like? Yeah, because okay. that's probably what he did. Sure, sure, sure. I did wonder if his name was going to be Jack, because obviously there's all those references like, I am Jack's wounded ego, or... Well, in the support groups, they did. He did make it obvious that he uses a different name every time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. So he could easily be Jeffrey. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Okay. And yeah, over a few sessions, she uh, started to find it odd that he he never spoke about his trauma, but he also didn't hesitate to participate in any activities. You know, mm-hmm. like the whole the group hugging hopes, it out. Yeah. yeah. And so one day, have nothing better to do, she follows him. He walks out the door of the community centre, and uh, he walks to another building where there's another session happening, and sits down quietly there. This one's for terminal cancer patients. Right. Uh, testicular cancer patients? Just terminal okay. cancer. Oh, oh, think... oh, this is the one with the, the woman who wants yeah, to have sex yeah, yeah. before she dies. Okay, yeah. And so she sits in and lights up and uh, watches all the people with all their shit lives. Mm-hmm. She goes home after this one is finished and she feels quite different. And because it's quite late, she goes to bed and 
let's just say she has the time of her life. Uh. She gets up the next day, she feels better than she's ever felt since the meteor hit. And she goes straight to community centre and signs up for all the classes she can find. Uh-huh. She This is how she gets her rocks off. Oh, I see. Mis- so it's from following people. Edward Norton that she initially... Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. So it's kind of all his fault. Pretty much, yeah. Okay. Isn't everything... Well, yes, sure. <laughs> um, Everything's Edward Norton's fault. And so commence a montage of her going to all the classes and mm-hmm. staring at Edward Norton at, at everyone and then, you know, having a bit of fun afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> so she finds him a very mysterious person. She's intrigued by him, and eventually he approaches her, as we've seen in Fight Club, and mm-hmm. you have to remind me how this goes. They have a bit of an argument, and then they agreed to go their separate ways. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. much it. He confronts her and being like, I, I know who you are, you're a fraud. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, I saw you rehearsing, telling me off yeah. the floor, how's that going? <laughs> Which was a great comeback line. Um, <laughs> and yeah, they have the scene with the laund- where she steals all the clothes out of the laundrette, and then, mm. yeah, he, they basically just like walk down the street together. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, and so at the last minute they exchange numbers, but she doesn't intend to call him as she's not going to see him again, and she doesn't care. Yeah. She doesn't form attachment to the things ever no, anymore. Because she doesn't allow herself to. No. Oh, you've really given this one-dimensional character depth. I like this. Yeah, I mean, it, after that opening scene, like, she's an infinitely better character now. Yeah, it, it really gives her layers. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so then I kind of need to write in what happens for the rest of it. So I think the next thing that happens to her that we see in Fight Club is the phone call. But I, I forget if she makes it or if... Ed Norton makes it. Oh, he calls her for his. So his apartment blows up. No, no, no. Sorry. The, um, oh, well, there is that, I guess. But yeah. um, no, the, the phone call where um, he eventually puts the phone on the hook. Oh and yeah. And picks it up. Oh, that's where she's taken a bunch of pills. She said like a suicide attempt, right? Or oh like a, yeah, that's maybe it, yeah. a fake. So it's, it's never clear whether it was a fake suicide attempt or not. She said it was a plea for attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, but yeah. whether or not, because it doesn't seem like Brad Pitt takes her to the hospital. It seems like he just fucks her better. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Which I don't think is what works when you've had an overdose. Well, I think he did say, uh, she did say, if I Oh, if I fall asleep, I'm done for you. You need to keep me awake. Yeah. Okay, sure. Fine, fine, fine. Again, I'm not sure what the doctors would say. (laughs) No, no idea. So yeah, then she's pretty much just enjoying shagging Brad Pitt. Um, Even though it's not Brad Pitt, it's actually Ed Norton. From her perspective, it's Ed Norton. Yeah, yeah, sorry, just Ed Norton. Um, Now, she's homeless as well. Uh Uh-huh. I definitely got that feel from Fight Club. Whose flat was she in when she... Well, called for I help. D- don't think it was hers because the police came. Because the police were called and they had to leave. Wasn't that why the police came and they left? I thought it was an ambulance because someone called because she committed, made a suicide attempt, wasn't it? Was it? Mm. Maybe. It wasn't clear, but sure. Yeah, maybe. Whatever. Yeah. But yeah, it could be that she was squatting. Who knows? Yeah. Okay, no, no, I like this. So maybe she's like really like bipolar. Like she's really up and down. Mm. Because obviously, she's had a lot of trauma in her life. Mm-hmm. And maybe she has a real low moment and she does take a bunch of pills and then she phones Ben Norton because he's like the only person she really knows from these meetings that she mm-hmm. feels like she can connect with because they're both phonies. They're both, you know, they're both faking it in these clubs, mm-hmm. in these groups, sorry. Yeah, and so maybe she phones him because she feels like a real connection to him. Yeah. Because they're both doing the same thing. And they both, she feels like he's another like lost soul, mm-hmm. and she's obviously taken all these pills, and she thinks she's going to die, or or maybe she's just attention, you know, crying out for help, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then he turns up because from her perspective, obviously, you know, he put, hangs up the phone, then Brad Pitt picks up, but from her perspective, it's all him. Mm-hmm. So maybe like yeah, she she makes this, she has this weird night where she makes a suicide attempt. Edward Norton shows up at her flat, takes her back to his place, takes her to the stars, you know. Mm. Yeah. I like the idea of it. Then it could just be the film Fight Club, but from her perspective, because from her perspective, it's fucking weird. Like, so she really likes yeah. this guy. She senses he's also damaged. And so then there's there's various points where he just starts ignoring her, and not just yeah. like being a different person because yeah. there's that. But then there's bits where he just ignores her when she's just not in the film for like an hour. Yeah, exactly. And then there's 
I guess that she comes back to the house at one point and she sees all these people around and mm. clearly something's happening, but she doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. He tells her to fuck off. He doesn't want her in his life anymore. Mm. And so she she goes away. She's pretty upset. She just goes back to maybe support groups. Yeah. Yeah. Then how does she get brought in at the end again? So, yeah. So they have this whole relationship where he's ah, very hot and cold that, of her. That, that That's it. It's... So the Ed Norton part of Ed Norton, he then forces her on a bus. Yes, that's it. He, he's having some kind of a breakdown, and he's like, "Take all this money. Yeah. I don't want any of it back." Because he thinks that the gang are going to kill her. Go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. This bus actually takes her to the headquarters of the banks. Oh wow! Okay. Now in the film, I in the film I took this as deliberate that she got on a bus. And then, like, the next scene, that bus arrives at where Ed Norton is. Where well, I thought this whole, whole network... It's not clear, but I thought, like, this whole network of Tyler Dead and, you know, worshippers... Well, yeah, sure. ...kidnapped her, had, had tracked her down, and, like, whether the, maybe the driver of the bus was one of them. That's the thing, that's the thing um, I forgot to mention. When she got on the bus in the film, I saw that as the bus drove away, you see lots of people getting up on the bus. Oh, I see. Her. Mm. So, yeah, I think it was implied that she was kidnapped at that point. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it seems like all, like I said, all men seem to be in this fight club yeah. network at this point. Yeah. You know? Don't trust men. Never trust men. Never. Yes, and so she, she gets kidnapped and taken to this uh, skyscraper. Uh, she goes up and she finds Evan Norton there. She starts shouting at him because, like, what the hell? You just put me on a bus and I got abducted mm-hmm. and now I'm here. What's... Oh, my God, your face. Oh, yeah, that's when she notices that he's blown his cheek yeah. off, yeah. And uh, he's like, you made me at a weird time of my life. <laughs> he holds her hand. They look out the window and all the buildings collapse and it's weird. Yeah. And she turns to him and she's like, what the fuck just happened? Are we yeah. safe right now? Yeah. I have questions. Yeah. Many, many questions. <laughs> what did you do? What, who are all these people? Who are those people at your house? What's going on? He explains the whole thing to her. Everything. Because mm-hmm. he's, he's done with this. Like yeah. From his point of view, he's done with this Ooh. whole adventure. Do you think the narration in the film is actually him speaking to her? Sure. Yeah, that yeah. works. Yeah, okay. I mean, he does refer to um, her in the third person of a couple of times. Yeah, so, so he like... so he pretty much tells her the entire story of Fight Club. Yeah. Um, from... Through his broken from, cheek. From the, yeah. Um, from the Fight Clubs and from the uh, Project Mayhem yeah. bit. All that. And it, it gets to the end and she's just like, that is some weird ass shit. I'm out. <laughs> and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm gone. This is... No, no. Yeah. You will never see me again. Yeah. Never, ever. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, she goes and uh, she leaves and she, I don't know, lives miserably ever after. Well, maybe, yeah, maybe we see her walking down the street, smoking, obviously, looking fabulous, mm. you know. We see her walking down the streets in New York with, like, obviously, there's all these buildings that have collapsed, there's rubble everywhere, mm. sirens are screaming, and she's walking one way and you see all the police cars pulling up to the building where Edward Norton is, mm. and we just see the credits roll as she walks down the street. Mm. And then we just, yeah. Yeah. And then who knows where her life goes after that. But yeah. yeah, yeah, pretty much. I, think that, that's I like it. that. That's good. So it's basically the same film from her perspective. Yeah. I'd so like I'm, I'm not quite sure if the title "Bitch Club" works. Not so much anymore. No, no. <laughs> she doesn't really form a club. Yeah, because um, I was going to have it where she forms women's fight clubs. Yeah. Um, but it just the story just never went there. Sure. Yeah. For me. Women wouldn't be that stupid. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this I, like when I came when I came with the idea of like I want it to end with her there like. Like the moment after Fight Club ends, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then her just being like, "That's stupid." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I wanted her to just say that, and okay, sure. Her having done the same thing wouldn't have worked. Mm-hmm. Title two be confirmed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Okay, brilliant. So that was that. Okay. Whatever, whatever that's called. Should we get cool. to let's get some listener submissions in. Okay, so I've got a few here. They're not all great. They're not all winners because mm-hmm. I think three of them are just saying, "Oh, but there's a comic based off it," or. 
you know. We'll just read the good ones. You don't need to read everything. Okay, I'll do that. I'll see what I've got here. So Matt Warburton says, real world meta-analysis docufilm where Edward Norton... Real world, sorry, say this real, word slowly. Real world meta-analysis docufilm okay. where Edward Norton and Brad Pitt tour the world finding Fight Club superfans, brackets, you know the type, think that Pitt's character is a top bloke and not a terrorist, want to be in their own Fight Club cult, um, live by Pitt's character's words and constantly quote his speeches and the first rule of Fight Club. And they beat the shit out of them. Okay, I like that. That's good, yeah. yeah. Adam Masters says, The exact same movie, but Brad Pitt is digitally removed from every scene. Oh, nice. It's just Edward Norton talking to himself. Yeah. Well, that's fun. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, That'd be good, like, alternate version on, like, the DVD or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Chris Hernandez, which has got a sequel title, Paper Street Soap. Paper Street Soap. Oh, is that the name of the company that he runs? I think so, yeah. It sells soap, okay. Yeah. Natalie Porter says instead of having two personalities, Edward Norton now has one. He is in a coma as a result of being punched in the head every night and receiving no medical attention. <laughs> True, yeah, like nobody ever seems to have any permanent. Well, apart from poor Jared Leto. <laughs> Mahale Pataki, maybe, says a sequel which is essentially Fight Club played backwards, where Tyler Durden, a successful anarchist, tired of all the Gen X's and their frustrations, decides to drop it all and becomes a mundane office worker who collects IKEA furniture. Oh, okay. So he goes from anarchist to conformist to having the way around. Yeah. Interesting. When he said go backwards, I thought it'd be like memento. Me too. Yeah. 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 Okay, this one, I think this is my favourite. Okay. Dan Buzinski? Sure. Buzinski. Yeah, maybe. So I asked, uh, what are your best sequel ideas? Yes. What would be a good follow-up to Fight Club? He says, we don't talk about this. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) Frank Cardenas says, Fight Club Penguin. We don't talk about it because it doesn't exist. Wink. Uh, <laughs> what uh, was with that penguin? Yeah, I don't know. Scott Taylor says, Mark Ruffalo in a loony bin. Shyamalan twist, Mark Ruffalo is Ed Norton. I've I've, oh, because did the Hulk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Good. Okay, that's good, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Stephanie Palais says, Civilised Debate Club. <laughs> yes, like that. <laughs> and finally here, Adam Horton says, I think there would be a new set of people and these and these new people will go on an adventure to seek out Ed Norton's character as he's the only one that can save Fight Club. The twist here is that they've secretly been hiding on an island called Club Two. Not the number. And when they find him, he is just standing there and he won't say anything until they make this a trilogy set, with the next being the last Fight Club. But by that point, people will probably be 50-50 on the whole Fight Club universe thing anyway. So what, they find him and it's, he doesn't talk? It's the new Star Wars films. Oh, I see, okay. Luke Skywalker was on an island called Act 2. Oh, oh I, okay, I get it now, I yeah. get it, okay. Yeah. So, so he's become this kind of weird sage. Yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. I mean, I, th- I think that Adam Horton's just making a point just about doing a cinematic universes. Okay, okay, I get it. Cool, very good. I have some as well. Uh, Malcolm Negard said, look who's not talking to. <laughs> I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> Jer Morton said, Leto the right one in. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Jason Bitterstein said, two fight, two club. Sure, yeah, that works. Yeah, Nikki Brusky. This is one, this might be my favourite. She's a she's pitched a book. A book. Okay. It's not it's not a long idea though. The title of the book is Fight Club and other movie posters that let you know it's time to leave a guy's apartment. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Adam Capitano said, "Allow me to pitch you the 19th century prequel instead, Fisticuffs Association." <laughs> Uh, Alex Garcia said, A harrowing survival story about a cross-section of people caught at ground level during the final explosion scene working to save themselves from the fires and clouds of dust and gas as well as continuously collapsing mountains of rubble. 
They manage to dig out as many survivors as they can while keeping an ever-rising tally of the dead. They finally find relative safety in an outdoor concert venue. Epilogue, two of the survivors trap down Edward Norton to murder him, but find that he's already killed himself. Fight Club 2, I don't want to fight tonight. <laughs> wow, so it's, mm. it's dark, but sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jack Granger said Fedora Club. Great. Yeah, Fedora, sassy hats. Park Parkinson, and I think this might be inspired by you, said a shot-for-shot shot remake, but also it's cats. <laughs> Great. Uh, Adam Kushner said the first wives fight club. Oh yeah, so, yeah the yeah, first yeah, wives yeah. club fight club. Yeah. First wives club a film we've not done, but we definitely will. Mm-hmm. Um, Stephen Jones said the cold opening is a flashback to Tyler's speech about how we have no great war, we have no great depression, and then smash cut to twenty years later, and Edward Norton is standing around with, with the remaining members of Project Mayhem. They're watching the exposition channel that stores with lots of TVs in their fronts are always using. Mm-hmm. And they're just looking at how shit the world has gone. One of the members turns to Norton and they have this exchange. Hey, remember all that stuff you said about wars and depression back in the 90s? Yeah. You're a fucking asshole. Yep. Fight Club 2. More like Tyler Burden. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Andrew Russo said, Flight Club, in which disaffected men gather covertly in basements and then indulge in the opposite base instinct and just run away at the first sign of trouble. Great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Kelly, this is my other favourite. Kelly Boyd said, CrossFit Club. The only rule is that you don't, under any circumstances, talk to anyone who isn't already in CrossFit Club about CrossFit. <laughs> <laughs> you know how people start doing CrossFit and they start getting really evangelical about it. Yeah. Right? yeah. Very good. Uh, Veronica Smith said, Marla Singer goes to therapy and experiences self actualization ditching her life as a depressed pixie dream girl for unstable men. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Benjamin H. Bastian Baldwin, what a name, so many Bs, said, Fight Club 2, Rise of the Incels. Mm-hmm. James Marr said, The Incredible Hulk MCU movie, but they replaced CGI Hulk with Brad Pitt. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> uh, Rob, so wait, Ed Norton, he hulks out into Brad Pitt. Yeah. Just just Brad Pitt, not just green Brad, Brad Pitt, just, just Brad you, Pitt. You wouldn't like me when, I was angry, when I'm angry. <laughs> oh, I like you more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rob Farnham says, Polite Club. Duncan Flaster said, Too Fight, Too Curious. Derek Martz said, David Fincher and Chuck Palinuk slowly and clearly explain the concept of satire to do bros for two hours. <laughs> and Chris G just said, Joker. Mm-hmm. Uh, Daniel Tickner, friend of the podcast, said, Fight Club 2, The Tranquility Gambit. Set ten years after the ending of Fight Club, the sequel is told from the restrained perspective of Tyler Durden, as he sits in the subconscious of Sebastian, the name the narrator of the original Fight Club currently uses. Sebastian continues his dysfunctional relationship with Marla, and has fallen into the mundane routine of society, until Tyler re-emerges to cause chaos. Mm. So I guess that's kind of an inside-out thing, you watch him inside... Tyler Durden still exists, but only inside his brain. Inside-out of Fight Club would be fantastic. That would be... Pretty much all movies would be good with, with an inside out twist. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, I like that one particularly. Uh, Ross Burton has uh, lived up to his reputation and given us a bunch of puns. Flight Club, same thing, but it's like Transformers. Aeroplanes fight each other. Mm-hmm. Night Club, it's loud, far too busy, everyone's drunk and I hate it. Yep. And Bike Club, vampires. <laughs> Thank you, Ross. Uh, Nathaniel DeBell continued this theme. I never know a good friend of the pod, one of our patrons, Nathaniel DeBell. Plight Club, the narrator and Marla found a support group for those affected by Project Mayhem. This allows people to finally talk about Fight Club. Mm. Sprite Club. Tyler Durden re-emerges but trades revolutionary social anarchism for a quiet corporate life at a multinational beverage company. Right. Yeah, Sprite. Yeah. <laughs> and Light Club. 
Tyler Durden develops a revolutionary factor soap weight loss program which takes the world by storm. <laughs> Brilliant. Over on Twitter, uh, one good thing at OGT Pod said Jack has learned his lesson about toxic masculinity. Now everyone still thinks he's Tyler Durden. He figures the only way to fix it is to make people realise how crazy his philosophy is. So he doubles down, and to do that, he's going to need some help from his imaginary friend. It's called Fights Club. Bloatbusters at Bloatbusters said, Jack finds that the club he started has grown beyond his control, and a strange new figurehead emerges. As the film goes on, he finds out that this figurehead is, in fact, a vampire. He agrees to take them on in a fight for the leadership, and brings in Marla and a supposed vampire expert who looks just like Tyler. They go to fight the vampire, winning only thanks to not Tyler's help. In the end, they disband the club and stop this from ever happening again. The name is Fright Club. Huh. So I guess that's because Brad Pitt was in with the vampire. And I, I guess. Helena yeah. Bonham Carter looks like she should be in a vampire movie. If mm. she hasn't been. Who knows. False Start Podcast at False Starts Pod said, Tyler Durden versus Harvey Rabbit. Special referee, Taita Watiti as Hitler. Great. So, yeah. Yep. And finally, at Lemon Sneaky said, Tyler Durden turns out to be a real man, an anarchist, who has been reconditioned into the narrator, who is actually the second personality. Fight Club 2, fight harder. So that means that Brad Pitt's the real personality, mm-hmm. and Ed Norton's actually the phony one. Okay, that would be an interesting yeah. twist. Yes. Cool. Doesn't, doesn't quite work, but yes. Doesn't, I mean, it's, it, it stretches credulity, but, you know, mm-hmm. it's interesting. It's something. Yeah. Okay. Great stuff. So, thank you, everybody, for those sequel ideas. We ask for your listener submissions every week, a few days before we record, by putting posts out on Facebook and Twitter, where you can post your ideas. So make sure you like and follow our pages if you don't want to miss out. To listen to more episodes of Beyond the Box Set, you can subscribe and browse our back catalogue on any podcasting platform, including iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and and many others, all of which you can also leave a five-star review, which we both read to lighten our moods on our post-episode hangovers. As mentioned, we're also available on Patreon, which is exclusively for the people who would rate us more than five stars if they could, and you can find all of those links in the description below or at beyondtheboxset.com. And next week, Harry, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's, a, it's a me pick. And, um, you know, I've been f- we're, on, we're on free picks at the moment. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we can pick anything. And I've been feeling like it's get- gotten very wintry right now. So I'm feeling like, no, not Christmas, not mm-hmm. Christmas yet, but I feel like I, I'm in a wintry mood, so I want a wintry movie. I also want a movie... That has a good, strong female lead because mm-hmm. it's, you know, this film was very bro-y. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and also a film, we're getting into Oscar season. Mm-hmm. So I'm picking a film that has won, I think it won Best Picture the year it came out, but it's certainly won a lot of Oscars. And it's a film that's been on my shortlist for a long time. I think you'll enjoy it. I genuinely do. Glenn Close isn't in it, don't worry. Uh, we are going to do a little film called Fargo. Ah, okay. Yeah. You've not seen Fargo, right? No, I've always meant to watch it though. Yeah, I think you'll like it. I'm, I'm fairly confident this will be good for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. I've been looking forward to watching this at some point. Great. Well, now you've got your chance. So, listeners, listeners, join us next week for Fargo. Brilliant. Right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Bye. Bye. Game are you playing at putting me on a fucking bu- Oh my god.